All right, if you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to go ahead and, go ahead and turn to Psalm 139. We'll be uh, landing there in a few moments. All right, you ready to get started today? All right. The word Holocaust is not a comfortable word for us to talk about. The word means sacrifice by fire. We find that in the last century, in the area of Europe, Germany, Austria, Poland, that there was truly a Holocaust. But the reason why there was a Holocaust where millions of people were not only killed in battle, but also obviously killed, murdered, just simply because there was a group of people called Nazis who said that the Jewish people are racially inferior and unworthy of life. All across the world, in all centuries, there has been slavery. We know that scar in our own country, the reality of slavery. But in order for that reality to be a reality, there must be someone or a group of people who deem another group of people are unworthy of life, and thus is the bedrock of slavery. And this exact same judgment has been administered on a different group of people for thousands of years. It's ebbed and flowed. It's risen and fallen in numbers, but it has been extracted on another group of people year after year after year. We see that the topic that we're going to talk about today is a difficult subject, as you can tell by the way we've begun today. It is one that is morally, politically, and economically charged. We cannot answer all the questions. We can't deal with all the different facets of its complication. And as a preacher, I can't go down all the little rabbit trails that I'd really like to go down. But today, let's take a look and let's talk about life in the womb. A couple of weeks ago, we had what has been termed Sanctity of Life Sunday. Well, today for us, it's today. You're in Psalm 139. Let's read verses 13 to 16 here. The David, David, the psalmist, is writing a fantastic psalm. It is a song that was sung. It really talks about God's greatness, his power, his might, and the intimacy with which he knows us. And in verses 13 to 16, it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. We understand through this psalm and through this passage in particular that what David was writing about was the purpose of God for his life. He was not referencing some type of physical, mental, or emotional perfection. But he was saying, the purpose that you have for me is, is woven into me even before I was born. We find in the New Testament, talking about John the Baptist, in Luke chapter 1, verse 15, he's, there's a prophecy given to Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, 
And the angel says, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He is to be filled with the Holy Spirit before he's even born, thus showing an unborn baby is life. When Elizabeth, pregnant with John the Baptist, meets Mary, pregnant with Jesus, here's the interaction that happens. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. I know that in a group this size, there are going to be some women who have experienced an abortion. Some men who have done their part to participate in the same. And I just want to say this right up front before we go any further. That in Christ, there is absolute, complete, utter forgiveness. And God takes our sin, no matter what it is, and he throws it as far as the east is from the west. He buries it in a sea of forgetfulness. And we do not have to carry that guilt any longer because we are in Christ. Amen? So therefore, Romans 8.1 highlights, therefore, there is now... No condemnation to those who are in Christ. So no matter what we've done in our past, Christ redeems us and he sanctifies us and he calls us to live in freedom and not to carry around any more bondage. Abortion of the preborn is a stain on our nation's decency and respect. While a society is aborting millions of babies each year, there must first be a rejection of three things. In other words, we didn't get to this place just like overnight. There had to be a rejection of three things before we could come to this place of recognizing that women have the lawful right to have an abortion. We have to reject some things before we get there, just as you don't just wake up one day in the middle of a Holocaust or wake up one day in the middle of a, a situation of slavery. There has to be a bedrock, an underlining issues. And that's what I want to drive down on today in about the next 15 minutes. What precedes the elimination of babies must be first the elimination of number one, faith. Faith in God and the Bible are reasonable and justifiable because it's based on truth. You know, one of the criticisms that Christians have from those who are not Christians is that they say, well, your faith, you know, you, you guys just take a blind leap of faith. You don't even know what you're doing. You just believe stuff. And I'm like, well, I can't say what I really want to say, but I, I kind of want to <laughs> call them an idiot. But I would never do that. I would never <laughs> say that to anyone. Because that's not true. We, we don't just take a blind leap of faith and go, hey, I hope it works out. Our faith is reasonable because we have a foundation on which we believe. God has given us enough evidence to make faith most reasonable. And yet he's left enough kind of out to make living by faith also reasonable. And so we don't just take blind leaps. 
But if we are going to kill faith, we must kill truth. Thus, we find ourselves at the hopefully tail end of a philosophy called the postmodernism, in which there's no really belief in truth or untruth. Nothing's really true. Nothing's really right or wrong. It's just kind of whatever, you know? You don't want that guy who believes there's no such thing as truth to, to read your lab results when you had a biopsy. Well, it could be whatever. I don't know. Just flip a coin. Cancer? Not cancer. I don't know. You don't want that guy, right? But we're living with the ramifications and the consequences of that very philosophy. In John 6, verses 66 through 69, Jesus has just gone through a day where he fed a multitude of people with just a, a little bit of food. It was a great miracle. He fed a great number of people. Well, the next day, they all come back, wouldn't you? Like, hey, fish and chips, man, let's go. It's round two. Well, on this day, he changes it up. He flips the script, so to speak, and he says, uh, listen, if, if you don't drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have nothing to do with me. Well, obviously, he's referencing communion and fellowship. He's, he's referencing the fact that I'm going to die on the cross. And unless you believe in that, unless you put your faith in that, then you have nothing to do with me. And at that point, it says many of his disciples, not even just the crowd, he said many of his disciples turned back and never followed him again. And he turns to his disciples, the 12, and he says, are you going to leave me too? Are you also going to walk away? And Peter steps up and he says, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of truth. You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know you're the Holy One of God. See, they came to believe and they came to know. You know, it's amazing when, when people just throw truth away, it's amazing what realities they come up with. I came across this I think it's about a three or four minute video from PragerU, and it is kind of Will Witt on the street interviewing people about what they believe about abortion. Let's take a look at this, and we'll come right back. What's up, guys? This is Will Witt with PragerU. Today, we're back at UCLA, and we're talking to students about being pro-choice versus pro-life, and when is it too late to have an abortion? Tons of fun. Let's do it. Are you guys pro-life, or are you pro-choice? Pro-choice. Pro-choice. Are you pro-life or pro-choice? Pro-choice. Uh, I'm pro-choice. Personally, it doesn't bother me if someone chooses to have an abortion. It doesn't affect me personally. It's really the person who's pregnant's decision. It's, you know, their body and their choice, and it's not anybody else's. Do you think the, the baby or the fetus has a choice? Um, that's a tricky question. I think that I, so I would personally never have an abortion because I wouldn't want to do that to a baby because I do see a fetus as a baby. You think an abortion at nine months is okay? Um, yeah, I would. And so you think it would be okay to abort the fetus the day before birth? Just because of it's it's in the body versus outside. Oh, that's a, that's a tough question. I can't. I don't think I want to answer that. <laughs> what age of development do you think is okay for abortion? I'd say anywhere between two to four months. I think. So the heartbeat starts at three weeks. Yeah. 
on a child. Do you consider that a, a sign of life in the child? Yeah. yeah. So do you say no abortions past three weeks? No, I would say like, honestly, whenever, like if she can get an abortion whenever she wants at any stage, if she feels it's right. Do you think like seven months is okay for someone to do that? If they could come out of the womb and survive on their own at seven months? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Can we both agree it's a life after the heartbeat? Yeah. So you're okay with someone aborting a life? Yeah, because there's uh, circumstances where I totally understand why they would do it. So if a child, you find out that they have Down syndrome, you think it's okay to abort that child? Well, Down syndrome isn't horrible, so I would say no. Someone like Helen Keller, who was blind, deaf, mm -hmm. you know, that probably would have been considered traumatic and wouldn't be able to live that way. But, you know, she was born and did wonderful things in her life. It's, you know, she had the opportunity, despite the hindrances that nowadays with science could have been detected. Mm -hmm. That's true. Let me ask, if a woman is pregnant and gets murdered, is that double, double homicide? Uh, Do you consider that murder? No. Because, Even though it's a life? Because they're unborn. So I, I, they're not already in the world. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's worse than one person, yeah. I guess, but it's not, like I said, it's not like two lives or anything. Two independent lives. Yeah, but yeah, it's... It is worse than single homicides, if you will. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, double homicide, sure. Are you pro-life or pro-choice? I'm pro-life. Pro-life. Why are you pro-life? Well, I believe that everyone is entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, like, based on our Constitution, and I just, I don't think any human should say, no, you don't have the right to live or die. You believe life begins at conception? Yeah. Yeah. So, what do you think about the argument, her body, her choice? It's not really her body. I mean, it is her body, but the life inside, you don't have the right to make a choice on that because they don't have a say in it. Because right. I was pro-choice before, and then I've now become pro-life, actually. So. Uh, once I found that the majority of people, scientists, textbooks, all agree that life begins at conception. Sperm meets egg, that's a life. And so, in a sense of taking that life away, not giving it the opportunity, even if the circumstances for it when it's born might not be ideal, it's still a life and has the same humanity as uh, you, me, everyone else. You know what I mean? So seeing it like that makes me think that abortion must be wrong. Right. Yeah, that, that sound logic makes yeah. sense when you say it like that. Yeah. yeah. Sound logic when I hear it like that. Which goes to show you that people are making opinions, making decisions about this, and they haven't even thought it through. They haven't reasoned it. They haven't really looked at it. But I would submit that to us that we need to think it through and to know why we believe what we believe and be able to articulate it. In Matthew chapter 12, there was a group of Pharisees, the religious people, who came to Jesus and said, hey, we want you to show us a sign. I mean, like healing the sick, raising the dead, feeding the multitude. That wasn't good enough. We want you to show us a sign. So Jesus turned to them and said, A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. 
For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so must the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He said, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. You see, what we do with truth determines how we think or even if we think. See, there is a, a difference between a culture of extrinsic worth and intrinsic worth. Extrinsic worth says, hey, what can you do for me? Or what can you do for society? Intrinsic worth says you are valuable because you are. When we're made in the image of God as God's image bearers in this, on this world, on this world, on this planet, then we have intrinsic value. We were made above the animals. We are not one of them. He says, I'm, I'm placing worth in you on the inside, intrinsic. But when we think of people as just having extrinsic value, what can you do? What can you accomplish? Then we begin to try to justify, well, they really can't do anything or they're not doing anything for me or they're just hurting me or they have the potential to hurt me. Then somehow we come to a conclusion or can that this person, it's okay to eliminate them. The second thing that we've got to do away with in order to find ourselves in the situation that we're in is hope. When hope dissipates, when we throw hope away, we find ourselves saying, well, what, what good is it then? What's really going to happen? You take the young girl who unexpectedly gets pregnant. She has plans. She has dreams. And now this, but without hope that God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Without a hope that says, well, I wasn't planning this, but somehow, God, please do something. Please help me in this situation. When we place our hope and faith in God, he has a way of working it for our good, even our mistakes, even the things that we do that were not planned, that we weren't really wanting to happen. But instead, when we throw hope away, we throw lives away. Moses uh, was born at a time when it wasn't convenient for him to be a male baby. Pharaoh said, kill them all, kill all the male babies, throw them into the Nile. And yet Moses was protected because his mother said, no, I'm not going to do that. This baby has purpose, as all great mothers believe their babies have purpose. Leonardo da Vinci was uh, the result, if you will, of an unplanned pregnancy. An unmarried woman was his mother. I want to speak to our young people for a moment. You are student in school and you are having these type of conversations, probably not every day, but there are conversations, there are statements being made. I wanna share with you for a moment that those students at your school who are advocating pro-choice, pro-abortion, I wanna to submit to you on a general scale, they haven't thought it through and they don't even know why they believe that. Now, I know it's a little risky in saying that, but I just did and I can't take it back. They haven't thought it through. They know what they've heard, and they'll try to replicate it, which is what we saw in these college students. they just like, hey, this is what I believe. Why do you believe it? And as soon as you challenge them, they're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's sound logic. Can I just submit to you, uh, students, if you hear one of your fellow students say something like, well, I believe in abortion because it's a woman's body, so it's her choice. I just ask a question, just ask a question. 
Say, if it's the woman's body, why does the baby have a different DNA? Just ask a question. If it's the woman's body, why are half of them male? Just ask this question. Okay. So if you take a, a black man and a black woman, egg and sperm, put them together in a test tube, put that inside the uterus of a white woman. Nine months later, you're going to have a baby. Ask him the question, what color skin is that baby going to have? Is there any DNA from the white woman who gets into that life? No. The baby is inside the woman. It is not the woman. It is nesting. It is home. His home is there. You see, when you present these things, it changes. It, it, it adjusts everything. Some would say, well, it's just a fetus in development. Okay, maybe, maybe it's kind of human, but it's not yet developed enough. Say, okay, well, uh, what about four days after being born? Is that still in development? What about four months after being born? Four years after being born? 14 years after being born? Is, is it still in development? 40 years. All the wives are going like, oh, yeah, still in development. Still in development. Still in development. Yes, he is. I'm working on it. Give me time. He's come a long way. So we're all still in development, so that's not a legitimate argument. But we've got to ask the right questions. We've got to present that to them. The third thing that is necessary for us to get in this type situation is for the elimination of love. Love is the supreme ethic which develops into respect. Why are women and some men fighting so vehemently for the right to choose? The choice they're fighting for may be different than what you think it is. For many years, I, I really thought it was a, the, the choice of abortion or not abortion. These women are fighting for abortion. I can have an abortion or I don't have to have an abortion. I want to choose. And I thought that was the real choice that they were trying to fight for. I've changed my mind on this. Maybe you're ahead of me. But I don't believe that the abortion is actually the choice that they're fighting for. That is the fruit, but it is not the root. The root of the choice is they're fighting for the right to choose to decide themselves. They want to decide this is a life, this is not a life. Once you think you have the authority to choose that, well, then all the rest is just semantics. It's whatever. If I, if I choose it to be a life, great. If I choose it not to be a life, I can do whatever I want to. Have you ever watched in a, maybe in real life, but maybe in a TV show or a, of a movie, here's a, a young woman, she's not married, she's just whatever, and she gets pregnant. And she goes to her girlfriend, her best friend, and she says, I'm pregnant. If you watch the best friend's face, what do they do? Is that good? Or is that not good? And that's a picture of what these women are fighting to choose. Is it life? Is it not life? Sounds like a job for God. But isn't that the problem with Adam and Eve way back thousands of years ago? Hey, God, we don't know if you're really going to do a great job, so we're going to help you out. 
We're going to decide whether eating from that tree is a good thing or a bad thing. Hey, we're all guilty of that, right? So why are women fighting so vehemently for this? Now, I'll make a couple of statements. Number one is if a woman has an abortion, that's on her. Thank God for forgiveness when asked for. Thank God for wiping away the sin. But I'm not trying to say what, what a woman does is a man's fault. So that's my first statement. It's on the woman. My second statement is it's on the men. Women are fighting so vehemently because men, and I'm talking about in general terms, men have abandoned their responsibility to care for, to love, and protect women. May I dare say the woman that they impregnate. Because, women have, because men have abdicated their responsibility and said, hey, well, hey, we had fun, but this doesn't sound like fun anymore. I'm out of here. Then women have said, well, if you're not going to protect me, I've got to protect myself. And that's why we're in the state that we're in. Because women have, feel, have felt abandoned because they have been abandoned. Thus, we find ourselves in a very difficult situation to where men, women are somewhat drunk on their own power of making this choice of life or no life. We just talked to the young women here today, young single women. I just want to give you Pastor Chris's words of advice. Don't date a male. Wait on a man. There's a difference between a male and a man. There's only two things necessary to be a male. They both start with the letter P, and the first one is a pulse. Wait for a man. A man will treat you with respect. A man will care for you. A man isn't like, hey, it's all about me, baby. Uh-uh. A man will say, it's about you. I'm here to respect you and help you. I'm here to, to be your aid. I'm here to be a leader. I'm here to help. Wait on a man he's worth waiting for. See? So don't fool around with just some old guy. Wait for that man who will be right for you. He's worth waiting for. It doesn't matter how long it takes. A man will care for you more than he cares for himself. He'll make plenty of mistakes, but you'll know that he loves you and he cares for you. See, if you, if you start checking some guys out and say, hey, well, you know, maybe, maybe he's material. Listen, if he's not guiding and leading his own life, what do you think is going to happen to you? If he can't drive his own truck, don't hitch your boat to his truck. You can take that however you want to. Let me talk to parents for a moment today. We're going to kind of start bringing this to a close. Let me talk to parents for a moment. You have a son. I'm not, I am leaving the daughters out for a moment. Mother's Day's coming. But I want to talk to parents of boys. You're raising sons. Don't raise a wimp. Raise a man. You've already got a male. Turn him into a man. You do that through giving him responsibility. You do that from putting him in a situation where he can succeed or he can fail. Give him some rope. Let him have some space. Challenge him to be more than what he was last year. Challenge him 
to make decisions and to live by the consequences of those decisions. If it's a good decision, good consequences, way to go, buddy. It's a bad decision, bad consequences, you did the crime, you do the time. Let's go, whatever it is. We need parents to raise men. We need parents to raise some godly men. And let me just say this to the young men. Let me just give you some good word. This is some good word right here, okay? Listen, if you will transition from being a male to a man, and you take responsibility for your life, and you aim, and you know where you're going, and you get the proper education, the proper influence, you're going in the right direction. Let me tell you something. When, you, when it comes time for you to say, you know what? I think it's time to get married. I'm going to find me a good wife. You will have the pick of the litter because you're a rarity in the society in which we live. So you become a man. Let me tell you something. You'll be saying, I don't know which one do I. It may not be quite like that, but you get the point. The reason why we're in the situation we're in is because of the breakdown of faith, hope, and love. But I believe in a God who knows how to rescue, who knows how to empower, who knows how to say, you know what, I can turn this thing around. But it's going to take us as the body of Christ saying, we are not of this world. We're in it, but we're not of it. The word says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to the image of this world. Don't follow after its pattern, but follow after God's pattern because that's the one that works. It's tough at the beginning, but boy, it bears some great fruit in the end. And we've got to have young men and young women who are looking beyond their nose to say, what's coming up next? I need to make good decisions today to go into the future. We all know that God is the one who redeems even our bad decisions, even those things we went like, what just happened? I don't even know. Now I'm in a situation. God knows how to redeem that, and that's all part of his process and his plan. I want to read uh, one last verse out of Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. We know that God has a, has a way of redeeming us. We know that God has a way of causing us to have love for one another, and especially that love between a husband and a wife. Love is not to be given to the perfect person in the perfect time and in the perfect place. Love is displayed best when love, when life is in a mess. When life is messy, that's when love shines the brightest. We need to be able to love people who are messed up in a messy situation. God demonstrated this to us by putting Christ on the cross. And Romans 5, 6, and 8 says, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were messed up, while we were filled with mistakes, while we were filled with rebellion, while we were doing our own thing, while we weren't paying him any attention, while we didn't even talk to him, we didn't want to do what was right, God sent Jesus. God gave us the solution to our problems before we even knew what was going on. That's what love is. 
And that's the kind of love that God has for you. And God has for you, no matter where you're at in your life, no matter what happened in your life, no matter what's going to happen in your life, God loves you. And he has a special plan for you. And young women, he wants you to be a young woman of God filled with honor and integrity. Young men, he wants the same thing for you. To be a young man filled with integrity, filled with honor, to say, God, I'm putting you first. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to me. We've got time for that. Young people, God has a plan for your life. He's with you every step of the way. If you make a mistake, he doesn't leave you. He's with you. He's not going to leave you. But he would prefer you don't do that. Because it can lead to things that are difficult. It can lead to things. Be careful. But while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you glad? While, while we didn't get it, he says, I'm providing for you. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we serve. Do you know this God who died for you? Do you know Christ? Is he your savior? Have you asked him, God, I'm, yeah, that's me. I've, I've, I've messed up. I've, I've sinned. I've done things wrong. He's the one that comes along and says, I know and I'm here to forgive you. Just ask. And when we ask him, say, God, please forgive me. He does. Lord, please bring me into your family and come into my life. That's what he does. And he's no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter what, what your past is like. It doesn't matter. We're all messed up. We've all done things wrong. Every one of us. God looks at us and says, but I love you. I've got a plan for your life. And his plan for your life is that you would be what the Bible calls born again. In other words, you get a fresh start. All the old stuff is forgiven. And now you've got a fresh start. Aren't you glad that we serve the God of the fresh start?